We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me today, special guest, Joe McCarr. Joe, how we doing? Not great, doing right? Doing okay. Could be doing better after that <laughs> loss, but we'll, we'll get through it together. Yeah, I mean, that was an extremely painful loss for the Nets. 149-146 uh, of the Washington Wizards. And, you know, they did everything in their power to lose this game. We're going to jump into that, drive in, uh, dive into the last uh, sequence. But before we get to that, quick reminder, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Joe, we have to start with that final stretch. You know, Nets were up, what were they, up five? They were up five. Bradley Beal comes down, knocks down the three. Joe Harris gets the ball to inbound, and he just simply throws it to Washington. You know, I think he thought KD was going to cut right. He cut left. It looked like he was a little bit rushed. What were your thoughts on that Joe Harris play right there? It's really such a shame because Joe Harris, this was really such a career game for him, a career-high eight three-pointers made. He was doing everything right just until that last play. And obviously, there is some blame to be thrown at Joe Harris's name, but inbounding during the final possession is not as easy as we think it is. That being said, like you said, there's definitely some type of disconnect between Joe Harris and KD on that final possession, whether, like you said, maybe he thought KD was going to cut one way and he cut the other way. Regardless, it ends up in the hands of Russell Westbrook, who then hits a go-ahead three. And at that point, even just down one, it kind of felt like all the energy was just drained from all of yep. the Nets fans. Like, in my mind, even though we have two of the best closers in the NBA, I was just, like, defeated at that point. Like, even knowing there was still a chance to win the game. And it just goes to say, like, you're not going to win many games giving up points in the 140s. And that goes for Washington, too. Both of these teams are just high-octane firepower offenses at I know Washington on paper may not look like it because of their 4-12 and record, but I believe, I remember hearing on the broadcast, Washington is actually 6 in the NBA in scoring. So both of these teams kind of have the same strengths, same weaknesses in the sense that 
Their offense has a ton of power. Their defense leaves a ton of room to be desired. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a collapse from Brooklyn and a really painful watch. Yeah, and like you said with Joe, I just like they're, they're, the Nets had two timeouts in that situation. There was no need to rush. You could have threw the ball to you know Kevin Durant. You want to make good eye contact with whoever you're throwing the ball to in that situation. And it's just it was just not really a typical Joe Harris play because it was really careless. But it kind of almost signified the entire night. The Nets were up in that situation. They probably were going to win, but they were essentially very careless. You know, a ton of turnovers, no effort defensively. And then, like you said, Joe. Even though the Nets were only down one, it just felt like they were really defeated. And next thing you know, go down the floor. They set up a play for Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook gets his hand on it. They get another inbound. They switch Kyrie to the inbounder. And now uh, it looks like the play is to get KD the ball in the post. Washington sends a double team to prevent that. TLC makes a great cut to the rim. Kyrie gives him a perfect pass. And TLC misses... You know, probably the first shot you learn when you're playing basketball, a layup at the rim. And we're not talking about a difficult contested one. It was Ish Smith maybe was coming over or something like that. But that's a play probably almost every NBA player can make in their sleep. You're not lying there. And <laughs> that was kind of like the cherry on top of this pity Sunday that we experienced <laughs> as Nets fans. When TLC cuts... He wasn't wide, wide open, but he definitely had a step over Ish Smith or whoever it was guarding him. In a couple in inches. In the sense that, yeah, exactly. It was essentially an open layup. Like, I, I guess, yes, it was offhanded with his left hand, but you can't get a look as good as that. And I know we had this, you remember at the beginning of the season, and in fact, even as recently as the James Harden trade, there was this question, who's going to take the final shot? Well, the reason why it wasn't Durant, it wasn't Kyrie, when you see a cutting TLC, he needs to make that shot. Like, obviously, we want the ball in the hands of our best players. But if TLC is cutting, he has a wide open look. That's just a shot you have to make. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, especially when they're doubling Kevin Durant in the inbound. Like, he didn't even get the ball yet, and they're trying to prevent him from getting that touch. I think also some of the situation is Kyrie being the inbounder after Joe Harris having the mishap of the other end, maybe not feeling as confident. So, hey, let's get Kyrie there. And I think also, you know, Obviously, missing James Harden in this situation would have been pretty convenient to have him out there. But again, like you said, Joe, if you're an NBA player, you're cutting to the rim in a situation where there's not really a contest or a shot blocker, you should be finishing that shot. And like I said to you before we jumped on, you know, it gets to the point where like literally TLC, maybe not dunk it, but you could jump up there and drop the ball in the damn rim. Like we're not talking about a situation that was really difficult. And I think also he was probably a little flustered. There was more time on the clock than he probably knew about maybe, but he had 2.9 seconds. That's plenty of time to make a catch and a lay-in. And I think just the inexperience in that situation. Hopefully this is something the Nets can learn from. But Joe, you kind of mentioned the defense tonight, obviously giving up 149 points to any team in the NBA is just completely unacceptable unless it's like quadruple overtime and you're playing, you know, an elite, the, the 2017 Golden State Warriors. But Thoughts on the D from the Nets tonight, if there was any? The D was nowhere to be found. Um, <laughs> it's kind of sad, but I feel like this is like an evergreen tweet that the defense is not there for the Nets. We gave up 149 points to a Washington team with four wins, two of which are now against us. And it just really goes to show how we're really just playing down to our opponents. Um, Washington, like I said, on paper, they have talent. They're not like an awful, awful team, but their record doesn't show that. But for some reason, matched up against the Nets. I don't know if it's some type of perimeter defense issue, if it's interior. I guess it's more interior because I remember close to halftime, they already had 50 points in the paint. And like like I said, this is a lottery team. They finished what with 72. When, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> that's like you don't see this in 2K. Like 
What happens when you go to play teams that feast in the paint? Teams like the Lakers, who have LeBron and AD, or the Bucks, who, yes, we beat them once, but they still have Brooke Lopez, Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, all these guys who can penetrate inside. Um, that's definitely, I don't want to say panic, but it's a reason to be concerned. Yeah, and I think the effort level is really disappointing. And like you said, Joe, you pretty much nailed it when you said they played to the level of their opponent. And this is a situation where they're a better team on paper than Washington. They they have a lot more weapons out there. They have a lot more competent NBA players. But they just literally put no effort on the defensive end. I can't really think of anyone who played good defensively tonight. Even Bruce Brown, who's usually a good defender, got you know bodied by Bradley Beal multiple times, had issues with Russell Westbrook down there. And... You know, to put the cherry on top, the Wizards scored 48 points in the fourth quarter. Not in the second half. In the fourth quarter, they scored 48 points, which is wish just... I, wish I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you a lot of Nets fans wish they didn't know that. 20 came from Bradley Beal, and they couldn't even execute a proper double team on Bradley Beal to force the ball out of his hands. It just, defensively, there just wasn't really anything there, and everybody was just looking at the next guy to kind of step up. And the fact that nobody could rotate to the lane to kind of pick up anybody, like you said, Joe, giving up 72 points in the paint, like what are we doing here? We're NBA players. Like, I just think the defense there was absolutely horrendous. You know, maybe that's something that, you know, new newcomer, or I guess, returner in a Mont Schumpert could help us with, with some of that intensity. But at the end of the day, I think as a team and even, you know, guys like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they have to lead and they really have to set the tone on that end. Exactly. And as elementary as this is going to sound, when you play good defense, it essentially puts less pressure on you on the offensive end. For example, if the Nets continue to give up quarters of 40 plus, then you have to counteract it with, okay, if we're not scoring a 40-point quarter, then we're going to be trailing. But if you're playing even, like Richard Jefferson said during the broadcast, they don't need to be an extravagant defensive team. They just need to be respectable. Right now, they're not at a respectable level in terms of defense. They're around, I think it was like 25th, 26th in the league. If Probably they can get the that 30 up to like, this. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah, I don't even want to know. But um, if they could get that up to like, I don't know, the 11 to 14, 11 to 15 range even, the offense will kind of counteract the mistakes they're making on the defensive end. But until then, this is, like I said, this is definitely something to monitor. And it's the reason why these games you look at on the schedule as, oh, okay, we'll probably win this game. It's the reason why these games, win or lose, are so close. Yeah, you almost feel better about matching up with some of the good teams. You know, you <laughs> yeah, feel like exactly. they're, they're going to play well in those games and they're going to showcase the effort. And tonight, they just really didn't do that. And I thought they had such a good first quarter and then they got comfortable and they're like, oh, you know what? This is the Wizards. They're not good. They missed uh, the Wizards missed a ton of threes in that first quarter. And then it was 30. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
28. And then, the, you know, the next three quarters, they allowed Washington to score 37 in the second, 36 in the third, and like I said, 48 in the fourth. Like, Washington, like you said, is a talented team, but no team in the league should be scoring 30-plus on you in a quarter consecutively. Like, if it happens once in the game, whatever. It's You know, it, yeah. they're NBA professionals. It's going to happen. But 37, 36, and 48... That's that's just kind of unacceptable, no matter who you're playing. And like I said, even if this was the 2017 Golden State Warriors, you do not want to be giving up 149 points. It's just kind of crazy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. How much do you think this is just on the players? Some of it's on Steve Nash. What do you think? Like, where's the blame to be? Is it or is it just on everybody? I think it's kind of a mix on everybody. I know a lot of people are going to point fingers, say, you know, Joe Harris messed up the inbound. TLC missed the wide open bunny. Um, of course, that's how sports works. Steve Nash is going to get a handful of blame because he's the coach. And what do we do when a good team is underperforming? We point fingers at the coach. But I feel like in general, it's just a little blame to go around. You were talking about this before we started, but especially with Harden out, we should have really seen a little bit more of Kyrie and KD staggered. Yeah. That way when, you know what I mean, when you go to sit them, it's not just, okay, now we got our entire bench unit trying to generate offense against Westbrook and Beal. Um, but instead it's, okay, we have Kyrie who is now setting up these guys who are, for the most part, shooters. Like Jeff Green a little more, he gets inside. Joe Harris as Jack would say, more than a shooter. <laughs> but these are guys who generally play off of other superstars, play off of other players who know how to generate their own offense. Um, Joe Harris as a number one scoring option is not going to be the same Joe Harris in terms of effectiveness as Joe Harris playing off of Duran and Kyrie or playing off even one of them for that matter. So I feel like Nash could have definitely staggered their minutes. Um, just an overall, as we talked about, defensive effort. It's every game with this team or the defense needs improvement. We shouldn't be, I don't care if it's the 92 dream team, we shouldn't be giving up a 48 point quarter. That's four points a minute. When you think about it, the, the shot clock is 24 seconds. Like that, the more you dive into it, that's that's pretty ridiculous to give up 48 points in a quarter. And I think that's also what was so crazy is that the game obviously didn't help that Yes Network had the clock issue, so it felt like the game kept extending. But Washington was scoring so fast. Even in the situation where they got the yeah. Bradley Beal three, it's like the Nets don't know how to play defense or how to slow guys down. Like, that's all you really have to do. They have to kind of push the clock out. But like you said, Joe, the staggering I thought was it had a big impact. Maybe not later in the game because I thought in the fourth quarter when the second unit was in, they played okay. But to start that second quarter, they really blew the double-digit lead that the Nets had. 
You know what I mean? It was just it could it completely evaporated in within seconds because, like you said, not only is there no true playmaker out there, but these guys also don't have a ton of experience playing together or trying to create their own offense because they're so used to playing with Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant now. So it's like I, it was just weird from Steve Nash, especially because he staggered the minutes in the previous game with Kyrie and Harden. So why wouldn't you do the same thing with Kyrie and KD? And both guys, I thought, in stretches of this game really weren't dependent on the other to get their buckets. You know what I mean? We saw Kyrie hit a million ISO possessions and get his his points. And Kevin Durant, who on Washington even can match up with KD? Absolutely no one. So uh, uh, it was just overall, I think it was really a, a bad effort from everybody in some type of way. Obviously, we had a couple guys light it up offensively. But I think in terms of a, a team and just the effort we saw defensively and the coaching, I wouldn't really want to give anybody a positive grade for this game. I agree. And as Bradley Beal once said, and it feels appropriate to use it now, we can't guard a parked car. The defense needs to improve. And I don't know if that's going to come with more effort internally, if it's going to come from a minor trader signing, but the defense needs to improve 72 points in the paint against the Washington Wizards. That's that's just unacceptable. Yeah, 100 percent, Joe. And just to touch on some more stats, you know, the Wizards did also shoot 51% from the field. They only shot 30% from three. So it's not even a situation where the team was just completely on fire. The Nets, on the other hand, shot 56% from the field, 52% from three. Then also, also the turnover differential in this game, 17 to seven. And one thing is, you know, the Nets are going to have turnovers. They're just a high octane offense. That's going to happen. But the amount of turnovers they had in their own backcourt, you know, off rebounds and trying to push the fast break, throw it out to the outlet guy. I want to say in my head, there was at least four to five of those. You know, maybe one can happen in a game. Four to five is just completely un unacceptable. No, I agree. Because these are just possessions. Well, this, <laughs> this is primarily what a turnover is. Exactly. And it's even crazier when your offense is so efficient. Every time you you're, you're pretty much turning down a 50 percent chance that you're going to score. You exactly. know what I mean? This Nets team is such a high octane offense. I think even with this loss, they're still first in the NBA in scoring. I think they're around like 119 or 120 a game, if I'm not mistaken. So essentially, that's just a possession you're throwing away if you think about it that way. So 17 turnovers, that's 17 chances you had to score the ball. And obviously, you're going to turn the ball over, like you said. It's a high octane offense. You have three guys in Kyrie, uh, Durant, and Harden who just have the ball in their hands, pass the ball a lot, uh, use a motion offense in a sense where everyone's moving and constantly cutting to get guys open. So naturally, you're going to have turnovers. But let's say, I don't know, 17 turnovers. Let's say that's 13, which is still not great, but it's more, rece more respectable in that sense. Um, that's four possessions you get back. If you make even just one more shot in that four possessions, you win this game. Yeah, and not to even mention all the points that, you know, Washington scored off turnovers, 25 points off turnovers. So they took advantage of those opportunities. And I, I think obviously, you know, it, it was a nice uh, signature for the game. The game ended that way, too. You know what I mean? Joe Harris turns the ball over. Westbrook gets a three to win. But, Joe, obviously we could dive into this game and talk about all the details about the loss. Is there any specific players you want to jump into first? Maybe Kevin Durant, who did have... You know, an extremely efficient offensive game with 37 points, 11 of 19 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 13 of 13 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, a block, but also did have 5 turnovers. Thoughts on the game KD had offensively? Because like we said, defensively, I don't want to talk about anybody. Yeah, offensively, that's just the Kevin Durant we know. I mean, as he said in the postgame interview, y'all know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. Like, this is what he does. He's a top two, top three player in the NBA. He fills up the stat sheet. He's wildly efficient for someone 
one coming off an Achilles tear. I feel like that's a narrative we're blowing out like crazy, but it's true. Like how many players have come back and been at this level to the point he's a top three, top four MVP candidate. Uh, Durant was carrying this team. I don't really think much of the blame, if any, should be on him. I mean, he's probably their most consistent defensive player, if not Bruce Brown's, probably Kevin Durant. Um, he's carrying them on offense, 37 points, like you said. Um, he's getting double pretty much every time he touches the ball. And I guess that's kind of what happens when you don't have Kyrie in the floor, um, when Harden's sitting out. And it's guys like, no offense to them, like Bruce Brown, TLC, you easily leave them open compared to trying to guard Kevin Durant one-on-one. Yeah, no, 100%. And I also think, you know, Joe Harris was a guy that benefited a lot from those double teams. The Nets did a nice job of putting him on the weak side, the opposite side of Kevin Durant when he was getting those touches. And we'll talk about Joe later, but he had, like you mentioned earlier, a career night from three. But Kevin Durant was great offensively. That No one on Washington really had a chance of defending him. Double teams didn't even really work. There was a couple times where he took on three Washington defenders and ended up with a dunk on Davis Bertans. Like, he just was really in his bag tonight. I love the fact that he was getting to the free throw line. I think defensively, you know, even for KD, like, he wasn't up to par. Like, we've seen him play better. I think his rotations were late tonight. He got beat off the dribble a couple times where he really doesn't. So, you know, like I said, you know, KD is never not fun to watch offensively because of the bag that he has and just to watch that much talent. But talking about the other guy, Kyrie Irving, 10 of 20 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 5 of 5 from the free throw line, 8 assists and 26 points, you know, a really nice night for Kyrie, who was off to a slow start in this one. Also on defensive end, not great. Don't want to talk about that. But offensively, what do we got, Joe? Yeah, offensively, I mean, that's same with Durant. That's about what we can expect from Kyrie. I know at first he started a little slow, and I even started seeing people on Twitter who were like, oh, it's a bad night from Kyrie. And I, I was like, is it? Like, I actually went to the NBA app, and I was like, he's still shooting like 46%, which for a point guard is above average, in my opinion. And like you said, he got that up to 50. Um, just... Pure ISO scorer. It's how he gets the points. He's putting the team on his back. Um, eight assists, I believe you said? Yep. Exactly. So just even in the overtime... What am I talking about overtimes? Even in the... It feels like an overtime minutes. with a 300 points almost <laughs> scored between both teams. I mean, if Yes Network had the score, maybe I'd be able to know. <laughs> but, um, even in the over minutes he was playing, it seemed as if he just had a general groove. And I don't know. That's the thing about Kyrie. When he starts off slow, he just knows, like, okay, he... Let me flip the switch. It's time to put this in a drive. It's time to kick it into offense. So his offense was good. And as we said, everyone on defense is not going to get a pass. That's just how the story of the game was. Yeah, Westbrook cooked his ass on that end of the floor. I don't really want to talk about it. But uh, like you said, with Kyrie, all it really takes is one make. Same thing for Kevin Durant. They're that level of player where as soon as one shot goes in, wow, it might be a hot stretch. And I mean... He hit some really difficult mid-range jumpers in that fourth quarter, too. So offensively, he brought it. Going to Joe Harris, we talked about earlier, you know, had that big turnover at the end, but it was a career night for him. 30 points, 11 of 17 from the field, 8 of 13 from three. He also had five assists out there. So Joe Harris really did a great job offensively in this game, too. Really just lit it up. And I think Washington was honestly disrespectful to him in the way they played defense on him. No, I agree. And if it wasn't for that one blunder at the end of the game, we're definitely talking about Joe Harris as the hero of this game. Like, even yeah. though Durant was a higher scorer, personally, I'm more impressed with Joe Harris getting the 30 than Durant getting the 37. Just because we're so accustomed to seeing Durant's greatness. Durant gets 30 in his sleep. Exactly. Night in, night out basis. While Joe Harris, yes, he is averaging like 14, but correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't this Joe's 
He might have been, what, two points off his career high at one point? Yeah, his career high is somewhere in the 30s. We don't have our boy Jack yeah. Manuel in here who has that, you know, written. Uh, I think it might be tattooed on his body. But uh, <laughs> but it was a career high and made threes with eight. And eight of 13 is a, is a killer number. And I don't even know what it is in terms of a career high in attempts. 13 seems pretty high for Joe, but you love to see it. And I think this was just him taking advantage of the opportunity of a team like Washington giving him space and sending a lot of doubles at Kyrie, at Kevin Durant. And he really made them pay. And like you said, if the Nets won this game, I think there'd be a lot more hype around Joe Harris and the way he played tonight. Exactly. And I'm looking forward way down the line when we get that streak back to 79 of Joe Harris's three pointers made. Yeah. And that's, you know, hopefully we get there down the stretch. And uh, Jack was talking about that, saying the next streak's going to be even longer. Going back to one of the starters, I actually thought that DeAndre Jordan wasn't completely horrendous in this game. I actually thought he had some decent moments, uh, eight points. Eight rebounds, two assists, had a block. He had a, a couple effort plays early on. Uh, he didn't play much, obviously, in the second half. Really just started the third quarter, and that's the last that we saw of him. But what do you think of DJ tonight? This is going to be a very unpopular opinion. I don't think DeAndre is as bad as people make him out to be. And I'm not saying he's some savior. He's the answer at our center position. But I don't think he's to the point where guys are like, oh, he's, he's unplayable. Like, this is a guy who, yes, he shouldn't be playing like 25, 30 minutes. But if you can give me a solid 15 to 20 in some of the spurts I saw today, energizing on offense, he's the guy who's going to get offensive boards, um, emphatic throwdowns. That's what he's known for nowadays. And if he could even put in effort, it's the effort for him. We talked about effort as a team. That embodies DeAndre Jordan more than anyone. If he could even yep. just keep his feet up, uh, close out on big stretch five, seem to give DeAndre some trouble. Let's be real here. And if he, he actually just, had a couple closeouts tonight, which yeah. is, well, probably more than what we've seen most of the season. I saw exactly. him close out on Davis Bertans. I was like, oh, DJ. It's an effort thing with DeAndre. And if he could just exert that effort, he's not as bad as people make him out to be. And like I said, I'd, I'd roll with him for a solid 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, especially our other options are either rookies or like two-way players right now. <laughs> yep. And I think with DJ, I think it really is. He's a backup center. He's not a starter. He's not a guy you can necessarily rely on. And exactly. if he was in the... In the backup role, it's not as bad. You know, we've seen him have some success in the past in that role. So, you know, I thought he did a good job of kind of taking advantage of some of the double teams that Kevin Durant got. You know, like you said, he caught a couple oops tonight, a couple big ones. I thought that first dunk he threw down actually had some real pop on it. So, honestly, I, I wasn't as upset as I typically am with DeAndre Jordan. We also saw life from Landry Shamit again tonight. You know, 11 points, 3 of 7 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line. A couple decent uh, defensive possessions in the first half. Second half, he kind of got worked a little bit. But what are you uh, thinking about Landry Shaman? And do you have more confidence in moving forward after the last few games we've seen from him? So even when Shamit was ice cold and couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, I've always been a Shamit, like supporter. I've always believed, hey, this is a guy who could shoot the basketball. That's why he's in the NBA. And yes, he's going through a cold streak. But you know, you know who else was going through a cold streak in Brooklyn? Our old friend Torian Prince, Torian Tuesdays. <laughs> now, I don't know if you watched that game against Cleveland. He hit the dagger to seal it against us. And I think I saw he's hitting somewhere in the 40s in terms of three-point percentage since he got to Cleveland. He actually so anyway, shoots 98% against all of his former teams. You know, be <laughs> yeah, that's the it. Atlanta Hawks. No. <laughs> and I took that personal. But essentially, <laughs> that's, um, that's what we can expect from Shamit, but hopefully not once he's gone. So in a sense, not... Okay, every shooter is streaky, but the streak doesn't last forever. I have faith that Landry Shamit, especially playing off the big three in the same sense that we see Joe Harris knocking down these looks, I have faith that Landry Shamit could do it. And, I, you know, I was, 
I was a little surprised because I don't know what it is, but it seems like shooters come nets and their percentages just drop. Like <laughs> Alan Crabb was supposed to be a savior for us in terms of shooting, and then he shot in like the low 30s. Um, Travion Graham, if you remember that name, yep. 40% for his career, comes here, shoots like 28%. Uh, Torian Prince, we don't have to mention that one. Now Landry Shamit. It's something about shooters coming to this team. I don't know if it's like the offensive responsibility they're given, but their percentages just drop. And I don't know. I like Shamit. I think he's going to fit in well. I think eventually we'll see him deserve that back-end rotation spot if they don't make some type of trade or hit the buyout market. But his lowest percentage from three before this year, I believe it was 36 or 37%. And this is a guy, keep in mind, he's played with superstars before. He's played with Embiid and Simmons. He's played with Kawhi and Paul George. And now he's playing with a big three in Harden, Kyrie, and KD. So give it time, and Shamit's going to be... In my opinion, a great back-end rotation player. Yeah, I really like the lineup we saw in the previous game where we had James Harden, Joe Harris, and Landry Shamit out there. It really gave James uh, Landry Shamit you know, an opportunity to shine and also gave James Harden the space he needs. And I think it's also Shamit getting a little bit more comfortable. You know what I mean? It's a new team adjusting to a whole bunch of different roles. But moving on from him, uh, let's talk Jeff Green, who just had an absolutely nuts game for offensively. 7 of 10 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3, 5 of 6 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks, 23 points, 2 turnovers. I mean, Jeff Green was great on the offensive end. I actually think this is probably one of his poorer games defensively, but offensively he couldn't really miss. Yeah, I mean, besides that last free throw that would have yeah. really helped us out at the end, um, Jeff Green was doing it all. I mean, like Richard Jefferson said during the broadcast, he has found the fountain of youth. This is a guy who, at 34 years old, is still essentially playing. Like, he's not getting the same amount of minutes or same number of touches, but he's still being super productive in the amount of time he plays. And I was high on the Jeff Green signing when it happened, and somehow, like, I was still, like, underestimating him. This is a guy who's just been everything the Nets have wanted and more. And, in fact, Sean Marks should be, like, handcuffed and thrown in jail tomorrow for getting this guy on a minimum contract. Like... I'm actually scared he's going to demand like six to nine million dollars next year and we're not going to be able to retain him. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting what happens, obviously, looking really deep ahead, Joe. We still got to get through the season here (laughs) and we got to get some defense on this team. But uh, no, you said a Jeff Green, one of the best veteran minimum contracts in the league and what he brings to this team and what he's provided. And honestly, this is probably some of the best basketball he's played in his entire career. Like, it's not even just like, hey, this is Jeff Green. No, this is a really good role player version of Jeff Green. But Bruce Brown, Joe, you know, five points up. No, two, three points tonight. Sorry about that. Three points tonight, one and two from the field, nine rebounds, three assists, two steals. What do you think of Bruce Brown tonight? Offensively, that's typically maybe a little under. Yeah. But you can expect maybe five to seven points a game, unless there's a weird outlier like last game when he had 19. But you could expect typically about five to seven points a game from Bruce Brown. He's not the most complete offensive player. His game is mostly the floater, which he hits amazingly. Like, am I watching Tony Parker? Sometimes I, like, move my eyes a little. But besides that, his offensive game is very limited. And I'm a firm believer Bruce Brown impacts the game beyond what we see in the stat sheet. Yep. So, like I said, just get he, – he rebounds as if he's 6'10". This is a guy who's crashing the offensive boards at 6'4". He's diving for loose balls. He's getting 50-50 plays. And it's just a guy that every championship needs a player like. But in terms of tonight, like I said, nobody's quite getting a pass. He did have a very tough challenge in trying to guard Bradley Beal, the NBA's leading scorer. But I thought overall, I'd say an above average game, but not what we're quite used to from Bruce Brown. 
Yeah, I thought he did a better job in the first quarter early on, and then when Bradley Beal really turned it up, it really didn't matter. And I thought Bruce Brown just had a couple plays where he wasn't himself. Though I think there was a couple. He fouled uh, Davis Bertans in that three-point attempt. Just can't do that. You know, yeah. that's what we expect from TLC, not from Bruce Brown. <laughs> so, you know, clean that up. And I think defensively, like, he he also is a guy that has to help set the tone. I thought he did have good moments, but there was also some moments where I thought he could have been better out there. And like you said, you know, teams are going to find opportunities to come off of him, and he's not going to be as impactful offensively. That's why it's so important for him to be such a lockdown defender because that's where his impact is going to be felt. And like you said, the hustle plays, some of those tips on those rebounds are big stuff. But – uh, talking TLC, you know, not necessarily a, a, a terrible game from him. Eight points, three of six in the field, two of four from three. But then when you look at the last 2.9 seconds of the game, that's all we're going to remember from this one. And he's a professional NBA player that missed a game-winning layup that would have gave his team W. Okay, I'm never one to go over the top with slander, but if I'm TLC for the sake of his mental health, then I'm deleting social media for the next week. Like until everyone has this game out of their mind. Um, like you said, TLC is still developing. And at this point, that's obviously that's not where the Nets timeline is. It's not like yep. we're the 2016-17 Nets where, okay, we can live with a couple of these mistakes. We're going to be a lottery team. That's not what we're doing here. Um, TLC really needs to step up at this point. Wasn't necessarily a terrible game, but like you said, everyone is just going to remember that last inbounds play where he just like blew a wide-open layup. That could have given us the lead and essentially sealed the game. So TLC has to do a better job in conclusion at not fouling, especially not fouling shooters, because essentially that's turning a 30 to 40 percent shot into 70 to 90 percent, depending on who the player is. Uh, work on not fouling shooters. Work on just like staying in front of his man. Not a terrible defender, but definitely not a good defender. Yeah, and um, I and think then, that's where it is, Joe. I think that's yeah. what you you know the point is that. The Nets need him to be a good defender, and he's not. Like, he needs exactly. to be – He, he needs like, to that's your that role on this team. Role. Yeah, exactly. And the last thing is I feel like <laughs> – I don't know. Maybe it's because he doesn't make a lot of them or hasn't recently. I feel like he's getting so many wide-open looks, and he's just not capitalizing on them. And that's just a shooter's thing. He's kind of streaky. It'll come and go. But, like, hey, come playoff time, if he's even in the rotation, you can't be – like, we can't be playing this game of, oh, okay, like – TLC is going to be streaky. No, like you need to be on your game making these shots. And Joe, I guess just going back to that last play again, do you think Steve Nash made a mistake having TLC in the game in general? Um, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of surprised to see him in the game. And then I was joking with my dad. I was like, why is Kyrie inbounding? Like, and why is TLC in the game? And my dad goes, oh, TLC is going to shoot it. And I was laughing. And then <laughs> it actually happened. And then he actually got the potential game winner. And I was like, wow, like the jokes write themselves here. But I was very surprised to see him in the game. Um, like I said, this team on offense is an embarrassment of riches, even with James Harden out. I much rather would have seen anyone else take the shot. But at the same time, I don't fault Kyrie at all for passing it to TLC. No, Kyrie made the 100% yeah. correct play. No, we're not going to slander his name for that. He made the right decision. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it's a league of makes and misses, and TLC just missed a huge shot. Yeah, I mean, part of me feels like, in hindsight, maybe have Landry Shaman in the game. Even the slightest part of me feels like maybe DeAndre in the game to set a big screen for somebody, yeah. just having a big body or having... 
honestly the option at the rim to just throw an oop. So I just feel like, you know, Washington was like, hey, if we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose to TLC or Jeff Green or maybe even Joe Harris. But we're not going to lose to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And their strategy worked. And like we said, you know, maybe some of that's not having James Harden in a situation because James Harden's playing. TLC's at 100% not on the floor. So yeah. it, it it's obviously tough. And that's a shot that, you know, every NBA player is expected to make. And, and like we said earlier, that one possession doesn't necessarily dictate the game, but you did have an opportunity to make up for a lot of mistakes. But the Nets made, like we talked about, probably 30-plus mistakes in this game where they easily could have handled it. And even to the extent where I felt like this game could have been a blowout if they played it properly, Steve Nash staggered the minutes right. But, Joe, any thoughts on Reggie Perry or Tyler Johnson? Both guys had pretty rough games. Yeah, um, Reggie Perry, like I said, I understand people are going to be tough on him because we are now in championship mode. This is a win-now team. But... Eventually, you got to cut Reggie Perry some slack. This is the 57th overall pick in a draft that's not touted as the best draft. And he's essentially thrown into this role because Jared Allen was traded and we have a hole at the center position. Yep. So Reggie Perry picked up some early foul trouble. I believe it was like three, three, thousand, three, minutes. three minutes. And yep. then we didn't see him, right? Unless I'm yep. mistaken. We didn't no, see we him. Didn't see him. Um, they kind of just have a short leash with Perry. He's kind of an enigma. Like last game, he played really well, 10 points, 11 rebounds. But then he does have these games, the Mitchell Robinson-esque games, where he'll just get a bunch of fouls really quick and then kind of get thrown in the doghouse for the rest of the game. Tyler Johnson, yeah, not the best game, but I'm not gonna. It's not. It's not really that easy to generate your own offense and get into a rhythm when you've been riding the end of the bench for the first 25 games. Yeah, no, 100%. I think the Reggie Perry thing is something Jack and I always talk about. 57th overall pick, like, most of those guys don't even make NBA rosters. You know exactly. what I mean? Or, they're not they're getting spe- NBA minutes. Yeah, they're spe- and to be honest, like, he probably doesn't deserve NBA minutes. It's more so the situation of, hey, we have no centers. You're a center on this roster. You know, exactly. Norv- Norvell Pell will probably take his minutes moving forward after he gets some practices. And with Tyler Johnson, like you said, it's really hard to get rhythm. But that's also just part of the, the battle in the NBA. Like, when you have your opportunity, you need to capitalize on that. And the thing that drove me nuts with Tyler Johnson was the two turnovers. And then also he mi- he missed the box out. And then he missed a couple rotations, too, where it's like, hey, man, like, you can't control if your shot goes down. Like, that's something that's tough, especially, like you said, Joe, if you're not playing and you miss, you know, your first four shots, that might happen because you're rusty. But the other things, that's what you can control. And I think that's what really hurt Tyler Johnson. And, I mean, Steve Nash gave him an opportunity, and I don't know if he's going to give him another one moving forward until there's an injury or something like that. But, Joe, were you surprised we didn't see Norvell Pell tonight? Or do you think it was just, hey, he just joined the team, the guy needs to practice and learn maybe his teammates' names? Yeah, I think that's essentially it, Nick. Um, I had mentioned in one of my group chats that, hey, we might not even see Pell tonight. He hasn't practiced with the team. And that's pretty much it. I mean, he fills our biggest need while still extremely, extremely raw by no means – is Norvell Pell a complete product? He's what the Nets need. He's rebounding, blocking shots, and defense. And catching so, oops. Obviously, what was that? Catching alley oops. Oh yeah, and catching lobs. Like essentially, like I said, he's he's basically a Mitchell Robinson light type of player. And when I asked our friend, good friend Alec, about it, he said, yeah, he's basically the same type of player. Uh, picture a poor man's Mitchell Robinson. So including the fouls, it's only a matter of time before we see Pell. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it honestly could be an upgrade. We talked about the 72 points in the paint. Like, this is a shot blocker. Like, and he's got a little energy to him. He's got a little effort. And I think he's 26 years old or something along those lines. So he understands that this is a big opportunity for him to get NBA minutes. And we've seen it happen before. You know, 
uh, the Golden State Warriors had a ton of random centers on that roster, still able to win championships. Same thing with that Miami Heat team. Like he has a simple role, he's able to complete that role. It could really be a positive impact on the team. I don't think Norvell Pell's going to be a savior of the Nets, but he could definitely provide some positive impact. And talking about another signing, we mentioned him earlier, Amon Shumpert back with the Nets. Joe, what was your reaction when you saw the signing of Amon Shumpert being back in Brooklyn? I don't know what it was. I was kind of surprised but not surprised around like 5 p.m yesterday all of nets twitter we started like oh like who's it gonna be and for some reason we were like i feel like it's gonna be shumpert and we were actually right so shumpert back some people were thrilled some people were not too happy and i could kind of see a point for both of them he does fill a need which is defense but it's not interior defense where we kind of need someone to protect the paint that being said i'm never one to knock defense and if Shump is known for one thing, if that's the reason he's still in the NBA, because his shot at this point, who knows, maybe he increases it a little bit back into the low 30s. But his shot wasn't quite there when his first tenure of the Nets. And besides that, this is, in a sense, like another Bruce Brown type of guy, a guy who's not going to generate a ton of offense, but knows his role, can affect the game without really having possessions, and is just going to play hard defense. He's a guy who Kyrie really lobbied to sign. Um, overall, I like the signing. I want to say I love it, but I do like the signing, especially there's a sense of familiarity um, with he played under Mike D'Antoni. He's played with Durant before. He's played with Jeff Green. He's played with Kyrie in Houston. Or in Houston, my bad. He's played with Kyrie in Cleveland on the championship team. And so, last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and last year. Oh, wait, my bad. Kyrie actually did not play with Schumper one game last year. I remember doing a little bit of research. Kyrie was injured that whole time period. Um, but I, I still remember how frustrated everyone was when they cut him. Uh, definitely a fan favorite, a good energy guy. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me to see him as a meaningful back-end rotation player, maybe 9, 10, around that spot. Yeah, I can't say that I was super happy about it. I wasn't super mad. I just wanted the Nets to sign a forward or even another center or another big. And I think, you know, Shumpert does provide high energy and some good effort defense. But I think another thing with him is that he's also another guard. You know, he's 6'5", thin of frame. He's not a big dude. He's not going to be guarding Kawhi Leonard out there or anything like that. And that's where I think the Nets really have the missing piece is like, hey, you know Kevin Durant's going to sit games. Like, we're going to rest him with his Achilles. And the problem when that happens is, now all of a sudden the Nets just don't have any forwards. You know what I mean? Now you're forced to play Jeff Green big minutes. You're forced to play TLC. You're probably forced to even play Reggie Perry a little bit more because Jeff Green's not going to be able to give you as many backup center minutes. So I feel like that's where I was a little bit annoyed where, hey, Sean Mark's like, the Nets really need another forward. You need to give Steve Nash some more options instead of making him constantly play undersized. Like, because if we're being honest, like Joe Harris isn't a forward. He's a guard, but the Nets usually play him at forward. And you can even honestly... You could say the same thing about TLC. And there, there's really not a lot of minutes to go around at the guard position, given you have Kyrie Irving and James Harden. You're already worried about getting Joe Harris minutes. And we've talked about Bruce Brown a million times. We want to see Bruce Brown out there. So now it's just like you have even a bigger log jam at the guard position. The only thing I could think of is maybe Sean Marks has something up his sleeve where one or two of these guards is, are going to get moved and then he's going to bring in another forward like that. But I don't hate the Shumpert signing because I think even like you mentioned, as just like a back-end guy, you know, maybe he doesn't get a ton of minutes, but even as a locker room guy and somebody on the bench that will call people out and be like, hey, where the hell is the defense? Like tonight, I think the Nets would have benefited of having him on the bench just to provide some of that leadership and some of that spark. And like you said, he's familiar with a lot of guys on the roster. Exactly. And I have a feeling that, yes, we just pulled off this blockbuster for Harden, 
But I have a strange feeling the roster we'll see come playoff time isn't going to be, it's not going to be a world of difference, but it's not going to be what we're seeing now. Like, I think there will be moves made around the edges that kind of solidify the back end of the rotation, uh, the four and five spots, whether it's the buyout market or a minor trade. Yeah, I agree, Joe. I think, you know, Sean Marks still has a little work to do here. And it's not starters or anything like that. It's really strictly bench players. Like, if they can just find some solid second unit guys to provide some of that intangible stuff, that'd be all the difference. And I think it's a real possibility. But, Joe, any other thoughts you had on the game or any of the signings? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, one player that I talked about earlier, but Landry Shamit. And the thing with Shamit is, even if his shot isn't falling, I even noticed in his misses, just the shot he's shooting looks a lot more confident. Yeah, if I'm Landry Shamit, like that's that's definitely if I'm even a Nets fan, that's a really great sign from your shooters. Like you never you never want them to lose confidence. Like I know a lot of times I don't know the shooter might be 0 of 4 and everyone's like, hey, stop shooting. But no, like you want that Dion Waiters. I don't know if you've ever seen that meme. Like I'd rather go 0 for 30 than 0 for 9. But you don't want to stop trying. If you're getting a good look, you don't want to force your shots just to get one to go. But if I'm Shamit and it's an open shot. I don't care if I'm 0 for 12. Like, I feel good that you take that shot each and every time. So, yeah, I like I said, you don't lose a game overall on one possession, even though we're all going to point fingers at TLC. But there's just improvements as a whole that this team could be making just to learn how to close out these games come playoff time. Yeah, and then just one note on Shaman. I think his jumper has looked a lot cleaner. I think on a lot of his early misses, almost every three was short. Now we're flat. seeing... Yep, you're right. And now we're seeing just the rim outs. And, like, there's such thing as good misses. Like, I even know when I go shoot around, like, I'll be happy if I miss and it looks like it's going to go down and it pops out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where if you're, you know, if you have the shot that Reggie Perry had in this game where he attempted a three, hit the side of the backboard, you're like, oh, God damn, what's going on there? <laughs> but like you said, Joe, I think overall I wouldn't get too worked, about the, worked up about this game. You know, the effort just wasn't really there from the Nets end. They literally tried to win a game with playing absolutely no defense and think there's plenty of things to clean up. With just even playing, you know, one solid quarter of defense, they probably win this one pretty easily. I think Steve Nash and the team as a whole can learn a lot and just realize that there's no one in this league that you can kind of sleepwalk to a win through. Exactly. You just got to respect every opponent on every given night. And you need to realize, hey, we need to play the Clippers and the Lakers the same way we play, or sorry, other way around. We need to play the Wizards and the Cavs the same way we play the Lakers and the Clippers. Yep, 100%. Joe, big thanks for hopping on. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can catch us on streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsworld.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.